Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, June the 8th, 2016, and this is episode 1803 of the Survival Podcast. I mean, it's a Wednesday, we usually do an interview, and I had a great interview lined up for you today um, to talk about hiking and 10 essentials uh, to always have with you when you go on a hike, and really great information, and some technical issues came up, and that interview has got to be rescheduled for Friday. So I sit after 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday with no show. And that can't be. I don't like doing that. So we're going to have to do a show anyway. So then I'm stuck with, well, what do I do? If I do the call-in show, it's going to be 7 o'clock at night before the show's done. And, and that doesn't work for getting it out in time. And it doesn't work for me and things I've got to get done today. Uh, expert counsel show, not quite as long, but still starting from square one this late in the day, no good. So I decided to do just a impromptu Just Jack show, and today we're going to talk about the future of gun rights in America, and it is going to dovetail right in with Granddaddy's Gun Club. And the post that I put out on the blog this morning about Granddaddy's Gun, Gun Club wasn't really planned. For, it wasn't like this is connected together. This just happened, and it's what's on my mind. And as the old days of the show, sometimes something was just on my mind, and when I was doing it in the car, we just talked about that that day. Well, that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to tell you that I think our rights as gun owners are in real trouble. And I think that we have been conditioned to think in the world of immediate concerns. Who they put on the Supreme Court, which is at least a little bit more long-term thinking, but who gets elected, what laws they're trying to pass now. And uh, as you know on the Survival Podcast, we've always taken a long, a long time horizon look at things. And, and that's really, really important. We start talking about economic class. We say, well, it's not when it's coming or if it's coming. It's here. We already have this erosion of the middle of class. We have the sliding of the middle class. We have the insurmountable debt. We have this, this thing that's going on now, like going over the event horizon into a black hole. It's already happening. You just don't realize it because you're looking for a quick timeline and you're in a long timeline. I have major concerns about our gun rights over the next 10 to 20 years, more so than any time in history. I understand it now more than I ever have, and I'm looking at it differently. And it's why I've started Granddaddy's Gun Club. And, yes, we will talk about that today, but it will not be an infomercial today for granddaddysgun.com. But I do hope by the end of the show you'll see why it's more important than you can imagine that you be part of something like Granddaddy's Gun Club. I, I think it's the only way we're going to stave this off because I think we've reached the limits of what we can do with lobbying and organizations like the NRA lobbying on our behalf and uh, the electoral cycle and things like that. Um, not that I think we should stop doing that. You guys know I've gotten very non-political, but I've also said we all have our strengths and weaknesses and we all know where we need to fit in and where we need to be in, in the fight for liberty, freedom, and independence, no matter what we're talking about, gun control, right to farm, doesn't matter what it is. We need to be fighting on all fronts all the time. What I mean is I don't think we're going to gain much more ground. We may get a few more states to, to, to you know, it's interesting this phrase would turn up, but liberalize things like concealed and open carry. Um, we can have some of those victories there. But overall, we are seeing the tide go in the wrong direction if we look at the tide 
over 20 years versus 20 days. And I do think there's something that can be done about it. And that's what we'll be talking about today. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors. Hey guys, if you're like me, you want the best quality water for yourself and your family. This is why I've used a Berkey water filter for over six years in my own home. But if you're going to get a Berkey or parts for one you already have, you should deal with the best. And that's Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. There's only one official Berkey Guy, and you can only find him at his website at directive21.com. Again, directive, the number is 21 and a dot com. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a favorite knife, a special knife, one you may hand down to a son or a daughter? How cool would it be if you had such a knife that you actually made yourself? With KnifeKits.com as your partner, you can do it. Check out the hundreds of options they have along with all the help you would need from books and DVDs to develop the skill of knife making. You can learn more at KnifeKits.com. And now let us take a look at the year that was the episode. We have Roots, the legend of Igbo Landing. We have Let's Make a Deal, the Louisiana Purchase. And watch out for shrapnel. He is going far. And in other news, Robert Fulton builds a commercially viable steamboat, and Ohio becomes a state in 1953. <laughs> you want to know more about those, you'll have to read them. I'm going to read Let's Make a Deal to Louisiana Purchase, and damn, this is one of those days where I want to read all three of them, but for time considerations, I will pick one. President Thomas Jefferson doesn't like spending the taxpayers' money on frivolous foreign entanglements, but Napoleon needs quick infusion of cash. As he continues his conquest of Europe, France has recently signed a treaty with Spain where the Louisiana Territory is returned to France. France has not held the territory since 1762. A few weeks later, Napoleon turns around and offers it to President Jefferson for $11 million in cash and forgiveness of France's debt. Mark your calendars. It is 4th of July. Jefferson agrees to the terms and the documents are signed but before Napoleon can change his mind. He actually does change his mind, but it's too late. The Federalists scream bloody murder and call it plain dumb luck that Jefferson had such a deal fall into his lap. In a backhanded way, the Federalists have co-signed the purchase. The deed is done. Jefferson has become the imperial president. Uh, my take by Alex Shrugged. In modern context, we're talking about buying most of Montana, the Dakotas, Wyoming, Colorado, included were parts of Canada, North Texas, Louisiana, New Mexico, and Minnesota, along with the entirety of Arkansas, Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and Iowa. Historian Joseph Ellis pointed out about 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 three cents an acre for half a continent. The Louisiana Purchase was a better deal than buying Manhattan from the Indians for a few dollars and some trinkets. A U.S. president is not empowered to buy land, but Jefferson argued that he was allowed to do so under his authority to negotiate treaties. I'm calling BS on that one. The authorization to spend money is supposed to originate in the House of Representatives, but heck, com committing the United States to a $15 million price tag to buy a territory ranging from the Gulf Coast to Canada was such a great deal. In 2015 dollars, that would have been $297 million. That's still a great deal. Certainly has less money than the U.S. would have spent taking it from France, not to mention the cost in lives. The Mississippi Valley, Valley was a vital strategic interest to the United States. If Jefferson had not taken the deal, the war with France would have been inevitable. Um, what this is, is did the president... Have the power to spend the money. No. But he got such a good deal, nobody really gave a shit. They might have tried to score a few political points with it here and there. But this is, this is a fundamental reality about authority of government. Even when government does not have the authority to do something, if pretty much as everybody, everybody is okay with it, they get away with it. 
In some cases, that might mean getting a couple hundred billion dollars worth of real estate for a few hundred million dollars. Uh, maybe I'd say a trillion dollars worth, a couple trillion dollars worth of real estate. What would that be worth today? What would that be worth today? I just can't even get my head around it. We might be talking a hundred trillion dollars. I, I I don't know. I, I w- w- with what land sells that? What would you know? What would that be worth today? Um, you know, and in today's dollars, spending two hundred seventy-five million on it, or two hundred ninety-seven million on it. And, and so, the, the the other problem with it though is when government is permitted to do things that it's not supposed to do because everybody's okay with it. Sooner or later, government ends up being able to do things that it's not supposed to be able to do even when everybody's not okay with it. And we see that still to this day. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And with that, let's, let's get right on into this today. Um, I, I think we have reached a point in America where politically the other side has come to the same realization I have And they have decided to, at least for now, back off a little bit. And they'll continue these aggressive attacks whenever there's a big shooting or something like that. They'll, they'll of course, take any ground they can get. This is what the left is actually really good at, is incrementally taking what they want. Realizing, I can't have all or nothing, so I'll take the little piece that I can get. The right's actually pretty good at it, too, but... They do it differently. And and remember, I'm not pro-Republican or pro-Democrat. I, I, I think all of the people in D.C. today are, are sellouts and traitors to our Constitution and our way of life in America. But I, w- I will point to facts, and I think the left is good at the incremental infringement on freedoms and liberties. They'll take the every little piece of, of tax that they can gain in return for the power that it gives them by having more money, more control. They'll get any restriction they can get in place, any licensing, whatever. They'll, they'll just take it a little at a time in all things, not just gun control. And they've been really good at it with gun control, and they've gotten a lot of what they wanted. And then incrementally, the right has been taking it back. And there's been this, this seesaw, this yin and yang. And for everything that the left has gained with guns, the right has gained twofold. They've realized that when it comes to the political play, they've reached their high tide line until something gives them an opportunity. Whether it's crisis or demographic shift or what have you, they're in a holding pattern and they're just waiting for every little thing they can take. Now, don't think I mean that they've given up. That's exactly what I'm saying. They are sitting there waiting for any opportunity. But they also realize if they just keep pushing every day, that they're wasting their energy, and the left has a lot of things it wants to restrict but beyond guns, so they're, they're focusing in other places for now and waiting for these crises to come up so they can attack. And they have figured out the wind of change is in the air and that the future, as always, is the youth, and that the youth are largely apathetic, anti-gun, or they, are, uh, 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 they don't, just don't know. They're ignorant. And they realize that it's about a 20-year timeline before everybody that's 30 is 50, right? And everybody that's 20 is 40, and everybody that's 10 is 30. And the kids that aren't even born yet will be in their 20s, and they're all voters. 
and they know that the lion's share of those people will be receptive to anti-gun actions, legislations, etc. And they will not be, the majority of them absolutely will not be pro-gun, they won't be gun owners, or even if they are, they'll be apathetic, non-active gun owners. Because dad left his gun in the closet after he died, and yeah, I have it, but I really don't know what to do with it, that type of thing. And that by that time, that this battle will be won for them because there just won't be enough resistance to prevent it anymore. And they'll keep testing to see how close they've gotten to that, and they'll take little pieces at a time. But I think what they realize is, you know, 20, 25 years from now, one failed swoop, they'll just have everything they want. And they'd like to do it tomorrow, but they can't, so they've, they've gotten into this patience. And I believe that's, that's the danger, that we need to be looking at that time horizon. We need to be correcting for it now. And some of us won't be here then. You know, I'll be 64. I hope I'm around when I'm 64. Lots of people live to 64. People die before their 64th birthday. Um, but, I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're 64 now, you'd be 84. A lot of people live to 84, but a lot of people don't. And, you know, if, you, if you're 84 now, there's not many 104-year-olds. And there's about 50 million to 55 million gun owners in America, but I wonder what portion of them are over 50 years of age. And we're not, we're not replacing people as they go out with the same passion, understanding, knowledge, devotion, etc. And that demographic shift is our real danger. I want to start out, though, talking about some of the objections we hear and how misguided they are. Whenever we talk about gun rights and gun ownership, especially when we talk about the Second Amendment. And I think at times we maybe as gun owners need to back off using the Second Amendment as our justification, using statistics as our justification. My justification for my guns is they are my property, they are harming no one, they are completely legal, and they're none of your business. The Second Amendment's about, bleh, I don't care what you say. Just like I don't have a right to take away your DVD series of Desperate Housewives, you have no right to my property on, on some levels. But of course we have to go deeper than that. But, but on some levels we need to shift the argument at least a little bit in that direction. But some of the objections we hear, I want to talk about how misguided they are, even amongst ourselves, even amongst ourselves as pro-gun people. Um, one is, well, you think you're going to fight the government one day in some kind of thing, and that's delusional thinking. I think most gun owners are aware that the concept that one day we are going to have some kind of Patriots coming collapse type nonsense where the uh, you know all of these gun owners in America, all these Billy Bobs and whatever, are going to get their guns out and go to war with the United States Army and the United States Marine Corps, that, that is delusional thinking. I don't think any of us believe that's why, we're, that's why we have guns or that's why we have the Second Amendment. But I want to actually talk about, well, the Constitution does mention militia in the Second Amendment, a, a well-regulated uh, militia being necessary for the freedom of, uh, for a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. What was their mentality of militia? What, what do they mean by militia, and what was the purpose of the militia? The purpose of a militia wasn't to fight the army, Continental Army at the time, you know, or actually you're past that by the time we get into the Second Amendment, but th that's not what the militia during the Revolution did. They didn't fight our own military. They fought alongside our military. They weren't as good as our military. They weren't as trained as our military. But they were there and they made a contribution. 
it is conceivable someday that our government will do things that are completely radically unconstitutional and that our military will say no. No. And that some portion may remain loyal and that the, the, the portion that actually is educated and formed would basically have what you would call a legally constitutional coup in America. That is possible. And I know people think, well, that's delusional. No, it's not. When you take an oath in the United States military as an officer, you are actually charged with disobedience to unconstitutional orders. You are not to just follow orders blindly. And if you got to a point where the government began issuing orders to the military and people say, you know, they won't fire on civilians or things like that, that's exactly what that would be. That would be the officers that are leading the men saying, we're not doing this. That's a coup and it's constitutionally legal. And there is a potential that some part of the government, some part of the security apparatus, some, some part would say, well, we'll do it. Maybe the militarized local police forces, etc. And there may be a point that the military stands up and says, we're not having it. Now what happens when those two sides are squaring off, and by the way, oh, there's five million civilians that are armed that are willing to side with the military. That is the type of thing the founders meant when they put the Second Amendment into the Constitution. But it doesn't matter why our right is to not be infringed. It only matters that. There, there's no misspeak. There's no misunderstanding. There is no contract that any court of law would ever look at anywhere on the planet and say, shall not inf be infringed. Hmm. What does that mean exactly? We're not sure. Every law restricting your rights as a gun owner is an infringement. Every single gun law, from the federal level anyway, is dramatically unconstitutional. The federal government has no right to regulate your ability to own arms. Another objection we hear, we only want common sense gun control. These people don't even know what that means, as we'll see soon. But common sense gun control just means we would like further infringements upon you, and we'd like you to accept them because, well, we said they're common sense, so why would you object? There's absolutely no statistical facts behind these common sense gun control measures. We need to restrict magazine capacity. And that, you think that will accomplish what? These people that are even proposing the legislation don't even understand the technology they're trying to limit. They just know it's scary. Another one, you are more likely to kill yourself or a loved one than stop a crime. This is from a completely misguided study from many years ago that only looked at homes where somebody got shot. They only looked at homes where somebody got shot. They didn't look at all the homes where nobody got shot. So you take a small block of people, you find a bunch of people that got shot, and then you say, well, this many were, were family members, or and, and you include suicides in that. I mean, here's the problem. When you tell somebody, well, you know, X number of these you know, deaths by gun are suicides, they say that's still a problem. Yeah, but taking a gun away from someone who's going to commit suicide isn't going to prevent the suicide. It's just going to change the means by which the suicide is committed. Somebody that really wants to kill themselves is going to kill themselves. Another one is the Second Amendment is about the National Guard. Second Amendment has nothing to do with the National Guard. 
The militias were not National Guards. They were civilian militias run, managed, and, and controlled 100% by civilians. And the, the government would have the capacity to call up the militia, but it couldn't compel you to be part of it, though you were seen as part of it, whether you were or not. Because the founders who wrote the Constitution stated that the, the, the militia was the whole of the people. I'm just saying. But we have these objections, and they're completely misguided. They are basically perception bias objections. Uh, the, the, the people behind all of these things have simply decided that guns are bad, guns are scary, and guns should be restricted. And we have to do something. This is we have to do something mentality applied to guns. As long as they get something out of their efforts, it's worth it to them. And the only thing that they really want in the end is to take all the guns away from all the civilians. And they're actually very pro-gun people. They want police to have guns. They want the government to have guns. They just don't want you to have guns. And when they say, oh, that's not what we're doing, that's exactly what they're doing. Because if you just wanted common sense gun control, we have over 20,000 infringements okay, right now. Over 20,000 infringements right now. Those, they call them laws. That's enough laws to accomplish the goals that they say they want. We don't want criminals to be able to get guns. Well, you don't want criminals to be able to get meth either. How's that working out? Infi you know, interfering with the right of an individual to obtain a firearm who is not a criminal will not do anything except embolden the criminal. And we all know this. And I don't want to preach to the choir. But just, you know, sometimes the choir needs a little bit of preaching. And, and this is what we're dealing with. But we're in real trouble long term. I mean, real trouble. Big trouble. And part of it is because the level of ignorance on guns has hit an all-time high. And I'll just give you a few examples of it, because I want to stick more to solutions today. But I'm sure, like me, you're frustrated every time you hear some of these just stupid, ignorant statements. One is the gun show loophole myth, right? Anybody can just go to a gun show and just buy any gun they want with no background check. This is completely false. If you go to a gun show, over 90% of the guns that will be there are sold by licensed dealers. And as you know, my dear audience, every single time you buy from a licensed FFL carrier, you have to fill out your, your, your form and then they run the instant background check. Or if you're concealed carry in some states, you can just give them your card and they still run the, the instant check and it's done. That there are only some private sales at gun shows, and that's not a gun. It has nothing to do with gun shows. That you can come to my house right now if you're a Texas resident. I'm a Texas resident. I have an old gun I want to sell you. You give me 50 bucks. I hand you the gun. You walk out the door. It's totally legal. When they talk about the gun show loophole, all they're talking about is private sales. But if you see, that's so easy to counter. Yet most people that hear it just assume that it means exactly what the TV says it means. Why? Because of ignorance. Because of ignorance. They don't know. So they believe what they're told. And it sounds it sounds real. And they see some guy on TV go to a gun show and buy a gun without having a background check done. And then they show all of those guns on all of those tables. And those people think they can just go in there and buy all of them. And here's the thing. Because they're not gun owners, or even if they're, they're, they're somewhat pro-gun, 
But they're not gun users. They've never bought a gun. They have a few guns that were given to them by a family member or something like that. And no education came along with the guns. Or they have a couple guns for hunting, and they actually are hunters. But the guns have been in the family, and no one's ever explained to them what buying a gun is like. Or the only time they've ever bought a gun, they've gone to a regular store and bought a gun. They've never been to a gun show. When they hear this, they believe it. But the ignorance is the problem, not the believed lie. The next one is, you know, the Second Amendment, that's all about muskets. When that was written, I mean, you had to load a gun one at a time. The founders couldn't possibly have understood that we would have people out there with machine guns and assault rifles. And, ah! Okay, the musket was the, the, the arm carried by the soldiers in the most powerful militaries in the world. Arms meant arms. It meant equal to what the military has. And then, of course, you get the ridiculous, well, do you think people should just be able to have nuclear weapons? I'm not really sure government should have nuclear weapons, to tell you the truth, but that's a ridiculous argument. It's a ridiculous argument. No one in the pro-gun lobby is saying, hey, you know what, I think we should be able to buy nuclear bombs. And the individual soldier, the individual unit, cannot deploy nuclear weapons. There's only one person in our government that can deploy a nuclear weapon. So how about we just concede the nuclear weapon argument as being ridiculous? But then, well, should you be able to have tanks? Well, actually, you can buy a tank. Well, if you knew that or not, you can. You know, I mean, you should be able to armored vehicles, but you can, you can buy armored vehicles. Do you see them running around everywhere? No, because that's not what people like us really want. Or assault rifles are more powerful. Anybody that's a gun person that really knows that you know what an assault rifle, assault rifle, the word that they've made a bad, scary word. Um, that first of all, the the weapons that we are talking about that they call assault rifles are not really assault rifles. That assault rifles are military rifles that fire on full automatic. Technically, the 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 M4 carbine's not an assault rifle because it only fires three round burst. The original assault rifle was actually a phrase coined by Adolf Hitler, and it was small, short, carbine-like rifles that fire an intermediate cartridge between a handgun and a rifle at high rates of fire, fully automatic. And and you know the Russians answered with their version and we, the whole World War II history there. But what we do know is that whole intermediate cartridge thing is kind of important. Because intermediate just means that. So it's somewhere between a handgun and a rifle. So actually, the assault rifles, again, I hate that term, but if you're going to use it, they're talking about AK-47s, uh, AR-15s, all of these things that fire things like the 762 by 39 the 223 are actually less powerful ballistically than most of what you would use as a deer rifle. We all heard the, yo, one needs a 223 to, to shoot a deer, right? That idiot in New York. Well, that's because most people don't use two two threes to shoot deer because they're not really a good deer caliber. They're too light of a caliber. That's why we use things like thirty oh sixes and three oh eights to shoot a deer, right? But just so you know, there's a whole bunch of people that shoot deers with two twenty threes here in Texas with properly constructed bullets, and they're actually a pretty good round for young shooters because we have kids in this state hunting as young as ten years old shooting deer with a two two three. But it's just dumb. And it's, it's, you understand that that is ignorance. 
It's not the lie. It's the ignorance that allows the lie to be so easily accepted and believed that's a problem. As, as we move on from that, though, another big problem we have is many pro-gun people are not active gun owners or users. We have a lot of people that vote pro-gun, if you want to call it that. That when, when they're given the choice and they have two ass clowns to vote for, and if, if the issue of the Second Amendment comes up or gun rights comes up, they, they favor the person that's pro-gun. They get it. But they don't own guns. Or if they do, they again, they're in the closet, they're in the case, they're whatever. They don't shoot. They actually don't know a lot about guns. They've made a moral decision. They've made a moral decision because it makes sense to them that a person should be able to own a gun to defend themselves and their property and to do other things like recreation, sports, all of it. It's just They just say that, I, I agree with that. But the problem is since they're not active... They're not teaching others. They're not teaching others. And they're subject to lies. When they hear, well, this is just common sense gun control, and, and the TV says there's a lot of gun owners that are for common sense gun control. That's because they, they're, they're gun owners, but they're not gun users, so they're not gun informed, they're not gun knowledgeable, and they don't know what the hell common sense gun control is. And when you ask somebody if they're for common sense gun control and they say yes, and they're somewhat politically apathetic, what they're actually maybe saying is, I'm okay with the current laws we have. Not I think we need more of them. They, they, they stack this ignorance with misinformation. The next thing is, And this is probably the most concerning thing to me. This is why I'm so afraid of our future as gun owners, you know, even after I'm gone. I care what happens here after I'm gone. I really do. Our children are being taught to fear guns. They're, they're being taught to fear guns and to villainize guns and to consider guns bad from a very early age in our school systems. And this is the left's new plan, and it's been their plan for about 20 years. And they need about another 20, and they're going to win... If we don't, if we don't do something about it, they really are. They really are. Because when you run that plan for 40 years, and I'm telling you, it started about 20 years ago, then every person that's in our society that's gone through the government school system from 58 years of age down, 20 years from now, has been taught. Now, it doesn't mean it all went in. But they've all been subject to the brainwashing. There was none of it when I was in school. None. But by the time I got out of the Army, it had started. I didn't have kids, so I didn't know it. But by the late 90s, I had become a stepfather, and I saw it come home in my son. He didn't buy into it because he was around guns, because he went to the range, because he shot guns, because he touched guns, because he cleaned guns, because he maintained guns. Not just because Dad had some guns in the closet. Because when he was eight years old, I got him his first BB gun, and I taught him to treat it like it was a freaking .30-06. So it didn't work on him, but it was there. It was absolutely there. And from that, and my son's 26 years old right now. And 20 years from now, he'll be how old? 46 years old. It's, it, it's exactly where we're headed. With everybody under 50, 20 years from now, having at least had this brainwashing attempted on them. And, and this is what makes that so deadly effective. Children aren't being taken out to shoot. 
parents that do have guns don't have time to go to the range themselves. They're not taking their kids. Parents are, are killing themselves. Both parents working, working overtime, working weekends, doing all these things, and not taking the kids out to shoot. Of all the things in the world you have to do, you know, all you're trying to do is just, just keep them in bounds and get them through school and get them to college. Where they'll be taught more about how evil guns are. And I even know good people who I like that are very pro-gun. They have a son and a daughter. And the son grew up at least shooting a little bit and going hunting and whatever. The daughter's never been out to shoot. Oh my God, what's wrong with you? Don't be sexist. Don't be sexist. Because that little girl you teach to shoot turns into the 24-year-old that will not be a victim of rape because she'll put a hole in a son of a bitch's head if he tries to rape her. Everybody's upset that this young punk 20-year-old piece of crap kid out in California raped a girl. I'm upset that there's not a hole in his head and he's not dead for trying it because the girl wasn't armed. If you think it's delusional that the Second Amendment could ever be used to defend this nation, it's not even questionable whether or not it can be used to defend the individual. The gun is the equalizer. Well, maybe if she had a gun, she wouldn't have had the time to get it out, or maybe you would have took her. You know what? She would, have had a, she would have had an option. She would have had an option. We are not only letting the schools teach our children not to want to own guns, and to fear guns, and to view them as bad. We're not doing enough as us, and I know some of you take your kids to the range, etc. I get it. I did too. And as my grandson gets a little bit older, we'll be doing that. We've already started having safety talks and things like that. But as a, as a nation, there are a lot of pro-gun people that even own guns that don't shoot actively and are not taking their children out and making them become experienced with guns so they become immune and inoculated to this brainwashing. And it's getting harder because finding a place to shoot's getting harder every day. Where I grew up in Pennsylvania, if you wanted to go shoot, went out the back door and shot. I've looked at what's happened up there. I couldn't do that right now if I still lived in that house. We went down the road and drove up the side of the mountain a little bit and went shooting, and that's all blocked off now, and you can't do that. We probably in this country have more places where, you know, if, if compared to every developed country in the world where a person can go shoot, we probably have more of that than anybody else. But it's getting to be less and less. The only really good range around here, other than indoor ranges for pistols and stuff, is a place called Alpine Range. It's a long drive for me to go to. And then it's, you know, it's benches and you can shoot. You can't, you can't actually do anything other than just shoot once and then shoot again and then shoot again. And it's, it takes a day. And it's not, you know, when we lived in Pennsylvania, there was a range out at the, uh, the state game lands you could just go shoot at. And there was an area we could do skeet shooting. We just put up your trap and just start throwing clay pigeons and shoot them. And when you have ease, you get more of it. So we've also lost, in many places, the, the ability to just go out and enjoy ourselves as marksmen, which reduces how many times we're taking others with us, etc. And people with guns, more and more, are being vilified just for having them. Just for having them. I see posts on social media where some guy's in a coffee shop drinking a cup of coffee in an open carry state, And there's pictures of like, and there's all these comments about what a horrible person he is. 
and how dangerous he is. He's sitting there drinking a cup of coffee. And you have a police officer walking in and out of places like that. Nobody bats an eye that he's carrying a gun. They're both just people. They're both just people. Well, police officers have special training. You know, the, the reality is the training that the average police officer receives for firearm use um, isn't that great. It isn't that great. It's not terrible. I prefer it to nothing. But I'll tell you what, if you grow up in a family that owns and understands and respects firearms, by the time you're 18 years of age, you've had a hell of a lot more conditioning on safety and, and, and proper use and storage of firearms than an officer who goes through the police academy has. When, when if you have it, in, in like many of these cops today, yeah, they have that training, but they have no firearms background. They get out of college, they need a job, law enforcement's hiring, they say you need a degree now, and they have that degree, so they apply, they get into the academy, and they don't know jack shit about guns. There's, there's a lot of cops walking around that are less trained from a safety and a tactical standpoint than many of us civilians are. It's just, it's just the truth. And here's what I think we need to start doing right now if we're going to turn the tide on this thing. First of all, no apologies, no concessions. No more. Done. When anybody says, well, at least you should be in favor. No, I'm not. I don't even care what it is. Unless it's removing a law, I'm opposed to it. By the way, I feel that about that way about everything at this point. The only thing I, you know, what I'd like to see, if we were actually going to have a president do something, come in and say, no laws, no new laws, no new restrictions, no new taxes, no new nothing. For the first two years, of, I will veto anything that comes across my desk that infringes on anything. And you've got done enough. All you guys can do is figure out how to pay for what we need to have, and you can figure out how to pay for it by starting to reduce some shit. So if it, if it stays where it is, I'll think about signing it. If it reduces it, I'll probably sign it. If it increases it, I'll veto it. You guys can override and explain it to the people. So I feel like that about everything, but definitely with gun controls. Here's what I'm saying. 20,000 infringements on something that's not supposed to be infringed is enough infringements. It's enough common sense gun control. There's no more. And you don't make any apologies. No apologies. No, well, that's too big. You know, not, no more. We have to take a stance at this point that we're done giving an inch. And that doesn't mean they won't get victories. It means we won't give them any. We need to take non-shooters to the range. Take them out to the back 40 to shoot on your own land, whatever. We need to take people out, and we need to get people who have never touched a gun, to touch a gun, to understand a gun, to respect a gun, and to fire a gun. And this is what I know about the majority of people out there that are gun owners. You get that a gun can kill you. You completely understand that. And any misgivings you might have ever had about that, the first time you pulled the trigger and you had a controlled explosion in your hand, that went away. And if you're a hunter, not only have you killed with your guns, you've done, you've done terminal autopsies. You know, when you cut your deer open and gut it and you pull those gel, you know, that, that jelly out that used to be lungs and you see the damage, you're actually doing an autopsy on a gunshot wound. Most people that are anti-gun have never actually seen what, a, what, what a, a, a wound looks like, what a lethal wound looks like from the inside. Many police officers, you know, 
you have never shot anybody, you never seen anybody shot. Many police officers, while they've seen somebody shot, they've never seen the results from the inside. That's something a coroner does. And many have seen horrible things. I know some of you are going to write me and tell me, you know, you cops out there. I know you have, but I'm just saying. The majority of people that think, well, this group especially trained or whatever, th those people may not have as much respect as the average deer hunter does for what a gun can do. Because you've seen it. And you've touched it. And you felt it in a very real way. And, and the, here's why that's important. I don't know about you guys, but when I take a person to shoot a gun that's never shot before, I am on my most anal level of control of that person. We go over protocol and procedure over and over and over. And I say, whatever I say, you do it. And if I say stop, you stop. And I think when a non-shooter experiences that this is how most of us are, this whole concept of, you know, they're not safe. It's like, holy shit, you have no idea how safe they are. How concerned they are. Because if I go shooting with an experienced shooter, especially someone who I've shot with before, who I have you know, a reasonable expectation that they're going to behave safely, I'm pretty, pretty chill. But when I have somebody who is not experienced and has not been brought up with safety and procedure, I am on top of them like stink on shit. And I bet you are too. They need to experience that. Because then when the TV says, you know, they're not safe, they're not properly trained, whatever, they're like, you know, then, then, then the ignorance is cured. You see, the ignorance is the problem. And I think we need to use training tools like Airsoft to soften entry for non-shooters. It also helps us be a little bit more relaxed. I'm not worried you're going to kill me with my, with my 1911 Airsoft clone. I don't want to be shot in the face with it. I don't want to lose an eye to it. So I'm, and I'm going to make you treat it like it's a firearm. I'm just going to be a little more relaxed with my training, but I'm going to be on your ass. And can you imagine the non-shooter that you bring up and you set some targets up and you say, we are going to practice today with a 1911 clone, with a Glock clone, with a rifle. You know, there's all types of airsoft. And we are going to learn not only how to shoot it, we're not only going to have fun, We're not only going to be safe, we're going to be so safe, we are going to treat this like this is a firearm. And that person has that experience, and they don't even get to the real range yet. And then they hear the gun owners are unsafe. The ignorance is cured. The other thing that happens is they're not afraid. They're not shitting a brick. But you're making them have respect for the weapon, even though it's a plastic pellet weapon, it's still a weapon. It can still do harm. If you can use something to do harm to something else, it's a weapon. So they're using a weapon, they're being taught to use it as though it is more lethal than it ever could be, they're being trained properly, they're having fun, and they build confidence. And you build confidence in their ability to follow direction, and now you can say, you know what, next Saturday we should go to the range and we should you know, get you behind a .22 and have your first experience shooting a real gun. I'm now confident that you're ready and that I can work with you. Do you know what that does? Do you understand the responsibility that they understand is inherent to what most of us do every day? We're curing ignorance. And we're getting them on board. Where many times I have found people, because this is one of my missions in life. If I meet you, you become a friend, and we're going to be hanging out, and you've never shot a gun, then my goal is within a few months that you're pulling a trigger and, and gunpowder's going off.
but I want to be safe. I don't want you to shoot me. I don't want you to shoot yourself. I don't want to give any ammunition, pun intended, to the other side. I want a safe, reliable experience. My goal is by you having that experience to become informed, educated, and empowered and possibly decide to become a gun owner yourself. But it's also so that you won't believe the ignorant statements anymore. And you won't if we have good experiences. Well, that is the perfect ramp into a good experience. People who are anti-airsoft don't know what they're opposed to. I don't get it. And I know some really great people. One of my best friends It's in my industry, right? Really great guy. Just thinks airsoft's dumb. Dude, you don't understand what airsoft could do. And this guy wants to own a training facility. He wants to do tactical training, you know, with live fire. The insurance is so expensive. Have you checked into what airsoft? You could create any scenario you wanted from shooting groundhogs with scale at range to force-on-force engagement with airsoft. But it's the ultimate entry tool. And I prefer it to things like BB guns and pellet guns now. Because if something does happen, it is less of a consequence. And it's less expensive. And it's more realistic. And it's a lot of fun. So I really recommend Airsoft be part of And I recommend it for your own training. Your, to keep sharp, it is one of the best tools you can have. You also need to teach your children to tell you anything they hear in school about guns. Guns, firearms, weapons, and, and honestly, it's you should teach your children to tell you anything they hear in school other than 7 plus 7 is freaking 14, and things like that. When they start being told about current events and what to think about them, you should know. When they start being told about politics and what to think, you should know. You should be able to give the counter story. So pretty much everything. But guns is one of those, if, if your teachers tell you anything about guns, let mom and dad know. Let mom and dad know. Because you might find yourself saying, you know what, me and uh, Mrs. Smith are going to have a, a conference, a parent-teacher conference, because I don't like you lying to my child. And I'm not sure if you're lying because you have an agenda or you're lying because you, you don't know that you're lying and maybe we need to talk about this. And since you're a teacher, you should be pro-education. So let's have a little education about this. But, but you can't do that if you don't know what's happening. And then you need to alert other parents in the school. They're telling our children this stuff. Don't let it go. I mean, again, I want the kids out of the government schools. Remember, they're not public schools. They're government schools. They are government schools. Run by government, paid for by government, controlled by government, regulated by government, and with their, their, their agendas set and their, their, uh, their curriculum set by government. Okay, and government is inherently at this point anti-gun. So you need to know what's going on so you can correct it. Because this is the thing you can't do. You can't get all the kids in the school together and say your teacher lied and get them to sit there and listen to you about the truth about guns. But if you and millions of other Americans are making sure your children have the truth, they'll tell their friends the teacher's full of shit. And kids love to hear other kids conclusively prove the teacher's full of shit. They'll listen to your kids, not to you. So you train your children in the truth and let them do what they do best. Spread it. Kids love to talk about things when grown-ups are wrong. So make sure it's pointed out when grown-ups are wrong about things that pertain to liberty and freedom. Your children can be respectful and dissent about the opinion of a teacher at the same time. 
And as they get older, you need to even train them to be willing to do that if they have the right personality for it. Yeah, Mrs. Smith, I don't think that's true. And when they're attacked for it, to be able to say, well, here's all the reasons it's not true, where did you get your facts from, Mrs. Smith? I'm sorry, I thought we were here for the truth. And if they get in trouble for that, smile at them and tell them they did a good job and sometimes speaking the truth comes with consequences. And then go talk to that principal, vice principal, dean, whatever, and say, why, why are you doing this to my child? Because they spoke the truth? Teach them to be respectful, though. That's the only way we're going to get anywhere. Um, I think we need to be explaining what things like responsible gun ownership actually means. They've tried to steal our own words away from us. Responsible gun ownership, they, they use that to be like the, the same thing as you know, common sense gun laws today. Responsible gun ownership means that your guns are not just sitting where somebody can come take them. Where they can get in the hands of somebody that doesn't supposed, that's supposed to have them. Responsible gun ownership means that you know safety and procedure and you follow it. Responsible gun ownership means you don't give your gun to somebody you don't know and say, here, bring it back whenever. These, this is what responsible gun ownership is. Responsible gun ownership is you don't take a loaded gun and lay it on the tree out in your front yard. And you're thinking of most of this stuff, that's common sense. That's common sense gun ownership. There is a such thing as common sense gun ownership and common sense gun safety. The government initiating common sense gun control does not exist. And if it does, we crossed that bridge a long time ago. Somewhere in those 20,000 infringements, we had reached a point where we didn't need to go any further. Now, I still say shall not means shall not. But somewhere, if you want to make the argument that we need some, okay, we have plenty. We're done. I think we also have to start avoiding arguments of statistics. I don't believe they're going to convince anybody. I think things like, well, they took guns away in Australia and the violent crime rate went up by 77%. I just think it falls on deaf ears. Because they'll turn right around and they'll cherry pick their own statistics and throw them back in your face if they're informed. And if they're not informed and they just don't care, they just all they hear you say is blah, 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 blah. And they figure those are lies the NRA sent them on a pamphlet. Right? And I think statistical arguments are no longer effective. I think if the person that you're talking to is open to the facts, giving them true statistical facts can be beneficial. But in general, especially on social media and whatever, this, this argument has reached its plateau, its limit. But we do need to correct logical fallacies and outright lies. We absolutely, here's a logical fallacy that goes around. Armed citizens are not effective at protect, pre, uh, preventing mass shootings because in all the mass shootings, there wasn't any armed citizen that stopped them. That's a logical fallacy. It's a true statement. In all the successful mass shootings, there was no armed citizen that stopped them. But if there was an armed citizen that prevented them, they wouldn't have become mass shootings. So what we, 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 the, the, when that's presented, what's never done is said, well, how many times has there been somebody with a gun that was going to shoot somebody and was prevented by an armed citizen and therefore we never heard about it? There was a vice principal in Colorado. A kid came into the school with a gun. The guy saw it, runs out to his car, gets his gun, 
kids running around school looking for somebody to shoot, he comes up behind the kid and puts a .45 to the back of the kid's head and says, put the gun down. Kid drops the gun and basically collapses, right? Probably something was going to make him go off, but there was a part of him that didn't want to, and that moment it was reached, and no one died. And other than this show, you probably never have heard about it. To leave those out when we analyze whether or not the armed citizen can actually prevent a mass shooting is a logical fallacy. It's like saying that in every war that a bunch of people died in, uh, people that were pro-peace didn't make a difference. True, but how many pro-peace movements prevented wars that never got fought? You have to look at the totality. So when you hear logical fallacies, you have to point to the failure in the fallacy. But throwing a statistic at it generally doesn't do that very effectively. And you have to st you have to correct outright lies. When, when people say things like, well, assault rifles are more powerful than what you need for a deer, you need to say, actually, that's completely backwards. Because that works. I remember a young man that worked for me at one time. He was in my son's age range. He was a little bit older. But, you know, he's in his 20s, he's from Massachusetts, Boston, you know, you know, mecca of gun control. And he was telling me about, you know, the assault weapons ban had just expired at the time, and he was concerned because these more powerful guns were going to be available to people. I'm like, well, this thing's only 10 years old, and everybody had them up till then, and nobody was getting shot with them. And he was, you know, he was explaining, finally he said this more powerful thing, and I'm like, they're not more powerful. And he couldn't get his head around it. I said, let me pull Google up, Google Images. And I Googled some cartridges. And I showed him, this is a 3006. This is what your dad probably uses to shoot a deer in Massachusetts with. And this is a 223. And just by looking at them side by side, the ignorance is cured. Well, that little one can't possibly be as powerful as that big one. And then this misconception is corrected. So he was telling a lie But it's the same thing I said about the teacher. Your teacher might be lying to your child about guns. Not because they intend to lie, but because they believe the lie to be a truth. So education is necessary in those instances. We have to teach, train, and preach actual responsible gun ownership. We have to be walking safety protocols. We really do. We have to, we have to whenever we engage with anybody... In any sporting event, any shooting event, any training, we need to be all be safety officers. We need to teach what muzzling someone means, and we don't do that, even if we're using a blue gun. And if we're not doing that, we're not sending the right message that we're responsible gun owners. I believe that the right to own weapons for protecting yourself is a human innate right. I don't believe the Constitution gave you that right. I believe you're born with that right. You have that right. And the Constitution attempts to protect it. And I don't believe anything should take that right away from you until such time as you actually pose a danger or a threat to somebody that's innocent. And I even believe that criminals who are convicted of felonies, who have served their time, should be free to have their rights restored after that time, especially if their felonies are nonviolent. I absolutely believe that. 
But that doesn't mean that the right comes without a responsibility. Every right truly has counterbalancing responsibilities. And that doesn't mean that someone else gets to tell you how you are supposed to behave. You're supposed to have the self-discipline to behave properly. And we don't just need to do it. We need to show that we do it. We need to be proud that we do it. We need to reward others when they do it, even just with a kind word. I remember one time I had one of my friend's sons, uh, my, my son's friends with me at the range. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but the friend did something unsafe. It wasn't radically unsafe. I can't remember what it was, but it was something that was more of a... Um, it would be akin to put the gun, I don't think this is what it was, but to put the gun down on the bench without clearing it. You know, something like that. And my son, correct, we don't do that. My son was like 11 or 12, maybe, no, 13. 13 would have been about right. 13 years old. Good job, son. And let's fix that shit right now. We need to instill that in people. And I'm saying, you know, this wasn't going to be an infomercial on Granddaddy's Gun Club, but we need to do this thing together as a community, the Granddaddy's Gun Club. So I want to finish up by reminding you guys what Granddaddy's Gun Club is all about. First of all, you just go to granddaddysgun.com. You click on join. You fill out a form and you're a member. It costs you nothing. It's that simple. You're going to have to click an email to confirm that you actually wanted to do it, to prevent spam and stuff like that. And that's it. You're a member. Once you're a member... You can go in and post in forums and groups, and you can find people in your area. And if there's no group for your area, search first, okay? If there's no group for your area, you can create a group for your area. And as more and more people join, we start finding each other. And then these larger groups eventually break down to smaller regional groups, and, and that can be done through the site. It can be done offline. You do it however you want to. And you get together with like-minded people with guns and safely tell the story of your guns. And you bring specifically to these events guns that you have earmarked that sometime before you die, you will hand them down to a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter, or if you don't have heirs, to someone you've taken in as a mentor. And the club eventually will even help people find mentors and people that need mentoring. There are so many of us that have, you know, a lot of guns we've picked up over the years, and some of them aren't that amazing or that special, but they could be to somebody. And we do this safely. Sometimes we might just have a meeting where people get together in a day and just go to the range together and shoot and have a little talking afterwards, but sometimes we make it an overnighter. Everybody gets together, campfire, cooking, working on other skills, telling stories, but telling stories of the guns. And we do this safely. You know, there might be some adult beverages involved with something like guns and alcohol don't mix. So we have a sergeant at arms for every meeting. And the first thing you do when you get there is you present that cleared weapon, and that weapon is rendered safe with a zip tie. There can't be an accident now. But we're still going to treat that gun like it's loaded. We tell those stories, and the next day we go out and we share in shooting them. And then sometimes there's a special moment where a father puts a son in front of him, or a grandfather puts a granddaughter, or a mentor takes someone they've been mentoring, and says, this is my old gun. It's been to these meetings before. I've told the story of this gun before. 
Now I'm going to tell it again. I'm going to tell it one more time. And the next time a story is told about this gun, there'll be something added to it by you. Because it will be yours. And they tell that story. And in that moment, that gun goes from one hand to the other. And it becomes this person's gun, handed down from somebody else. The value of that gun can now not be measured in dollars. And every time it happens, every time it happens, the value to the person into whose hands it was placed goes up. This is more powerful than being a life member of the NRA. This is the most powerful thing we can ever do. No amount of statistics can compete with this. No amount of misinformation in the school system or in the media can compete with this. Nothing can compete with this. Because it's something none of those other things ever can really be. It is real. It is honest. It is the truth. It is not something done with an agenda other than I have respect for this thing. This means something to me. And you mean something to me. And I want the two of you together. And I want you to take this. And I want you to preserve it. And I want you to respect it. And I want you to find someone to do this with someday. This gun no longer has a price tag. It does not have a price tag. And that means a lot more than just I'm not going to sell it. It means I'm not going to sell out on it. You can't buy it, and you can't bribe me into giving it to you. I will choose who gets it next, not you. And I will make damn sure they feel about it the way that I do before I hand it down. When I take my .22 that I fed my family with, that I ran my trap lines with, and eventually I put that gun in my son's hand, it will not happen until the day that I know he knows what it meant to me, and it means at least that much to him or more. I will not take a gun that I would fight with my life to protect and give it to somebody until I know they will too. Now you go ahead and compete with that with a bullshit documentary like the one they just put out with this nonsense of fake editing in it. Go ahead and compete with that because the truth always wins in the end. The truth cannot be suppressed by a lie. It cannot be suppressed by misinformation. Not forever. And we have been playing their game, formatting our information in ways that are directly counter to their points, and tit for tat. And all they're doing is just eroding public opinion behind you the entire time. And your children and your grandchildren that you believe will feel the way that you do, they're not going to unless we do something. And we have to do it with truth. We cannot do this with a lie. We cannot do this with information. We cannot do this with a spreadsheet. We cannot do this with statistics. We cannot do this by sending money to an organization 10,000 miles away from us. We can't do this by trusting clowns that have screwed up our country to protect our rights. We have to claim them and we have to make them real to the next generation. And if you don't do it, if we don't do it, 
It's it. It's done, guys. It's over. I didn't know I was going to get like this at the end today, but it's the truth. It is dead if we don't do this now. We are the last. We are the last generation that gives a shit this much unless we fix it. We need to make the next generation. We need to teach the next generation. We need to empower the next generation to care as much as we do or they're not going to. And we're on the knife's edge of losing it anyway, just in the political battle. You'll be old. No one will give a shit what you have to say. But you'll watch it happen as an old man. And it'll crush your soul as you watch your children and your grandchildren hand away the rights that you were willing to die for. Unless we take this time right now, this moment, and say, this is it. This is enough. No more. You will not take my tradition. You will not take my heritage. You will not take my property. You will not take my rights. And you will not have them at the expense of my children, my grandchildren, or my great-grandchildren, or the great-great-grandchildren that I will never know. But they will know me through a piece of wood and steel they will hold in their hands, and they will know the story that comes with it. They won't yield because I stood today so that they could stand tomorrow. This is, I think, the most important thing I may have ever done, and I want you with me in it, folks. Get over today, granddaddy'sgun.com, and become a member. And with that, I'm going to close today with no commercial content. None. I'm not going to ask you to support this show. I'm not going to ask you to consider where you shop. I think it's good that something went wrong today, and I, I couldn't do the interview. Because I don't know that I could have ever done this this way uh, at any other time. I, I really don't. I, I don't know how this all came to be. I don't know how this all came up. But this is how I feel. And this is what I think America absolutely needs to hear. This is our right, not as Americans, but as humans, to be able to defend ourselves to be able to defend our property, to be able to feed ourselves, to be able to have our property, to not be dependent upon government, to not be dependent upon law enforcement, to, in the right circumstances, stand at their sides, support them, protect them. They may need it someday. But also not to, not to cave in, not to give up, and never back down. And never back off. And I can't think of a song to close today's show with that's any better than Granddaddy's Gun by Aaron Lewis. I'm not going to say anything about it. I think I've said enough today. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sits above the mantel on a couple rusty nails. It ain't worth a lot of money, and it damn sure ain't for sale. The good Lord only knows all the stories it could tell. My granddaddy's done. Oh, he bought it new out of the Sears Roebuck catalog. 
shot of many shells over the back of an old bird dog. Back the burglar down when grandma took the safety off granddaddy's gun. Just an old double barrel twelve. Stock is cracked and kicks like hell. Wouldn't mean what it means to me to no one. I can still hear his voice when I put it to my shoulder. It comes like a woman, son. It's all how you hold her. Taught me a whole lot more than how to hunt. One of these days I'll pass it on to my grandson. My granddaddy's gone. With a half-shot box of shells and a gift to keep it clean, I keep a picture in the case of that sweet old man and me. Granddaddy's gone. It's just an old double-barrel twelve. Stock is cracked and it kicks like hell. Wouldn't mean what it means to me to no one. I can still hear his voice when I put it to my shoulder. A gun's like a woman, son. It's all how you hold her. Taught me a whole lot more than how to hunt. One of these days I'll pass it on to my grandson. My granddaddy's gone. Sale. 